0: People are yearning for information, having the opportunity to encourage people
1: and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone.
0: Trisha and I are so excited today to welcome our guest, Nick Norris, to the podcast. We think you're really going to enjoy hearing about Nick Norris's life, which is fascinating. Nick Norris is a graduate of the Naval Academy. He became a Navy SEAL. And today we're going to talk about life and death and galvanizing a wellness routine. So Nick, welcome
2: to Health Geek. Thank you for having me. It's an honor.
0: Both Trisha and I were so excited about today's podcast because we just want our listeners to know about you and your life and your amazing perspective on life. So if you could tell us a little bit about your story and who you are, and we'll go from there.
2: I grew up in Chicago, Illinois, grew up in a great family. My dad was a firefighter. My mom was a residential real estate agent. I had two younger brothers. Always kind of challenging myself, kind of finding ways to do things that were difficult. And I think that led me to the Naval Academy post high school. I really went to the Naval Academy because I wanted to be a SEAL. I knew that I wanted to be a SEAL since I was in like seventh grade. My parents really wanted me to go to school or else I probably would have been listed and just went straight to BUDS and into the teams. But the path at the Naval Academy was the right path. I was fortunate to have gone there. I graduated from the Academy in 2003. And directly into SEAL training, made it through the first shot, no roles medically, and went into the SEAL community post 9-11, my first platoon at SEAL Team 3 in 2005 timeframe, and deployed to al Anbar Province, Iraq in 2006, that summer, the summer that we lost both Mark Lee and Mike Monsoor in our sister troop in Ramadi. And we were conducting similar operations, daytime combat operations, in support of General Petraeus's counterinsurgency doctrine. It was a very trying and testing period in my young life as a SEAL officer. So was fortunate to have come home from that deployment. Did another tour with SEAL Team 3 and in kind of an intelligence support capacity, and then ended up coming back to SEAL Team 3, going to Iraq, and then Afghanistan in 2010, and finished up that tour and went back to SEAL qualification training to run that command, which is basically our finishing school for SEALs. I decided to leave the SEAL community after about 10 and a half years for a number of reasons. And I've been out since 2013 and have done a number of things since then.
0: Well, you have an amazing array of interests and skills and talents. And one of them is you're this amazing athlete and you do all these sports that frankly, I've never even heard of. So can you tell us about some of those things that you do and like the dynamic four-way wind tunnel flying?
1: <laughs> I mean, Trisha, had you heard of that before? No, not until we were reading about it and listening to you about
2: it. <laughs> yeah. i dabbled in things where I felt like I could excel and there wasn't that large of a group to excel against. <laughs> I definitely was not the best athlete growing up. I wasn't a baseball player. You know, I struggled playing football. I ended up wrestling. <laughs> So, the dynamic four way, the wind tunnel stuff really came from the time of the teams. You know, we were given the opportunity to fly in wind tunnels as SEALs in order to better prepare ourselves for air operations. I really gravitated toward it. I just thought it was fun. It was very challenging, kind of like surfing, in that you could really pour your whole self into it for a lifetime and still be improving. You know, I was fortunate to have flown a bunch. I taught a lot of military guys how to fly in the tunnel. Ultimately, I flew with a bunch of skydivers and skydiving professionals, but we ended up flying in a dynamic four-way competition in Japan a few years ago, which was a blast and very thankful to have been given that opportunity. I definitely pointed the SEAL teams and my military experience as the thing that opened that door for me.
1: To be a Navy SEAL, obviously, is something we all admire. And what qualities do you think you need to be successful in being a Navy SEAL?
2: Well, I mean, outside of the grit and the determination and kind of personal motivation to make it through training, I am a firm believer in humility. It's something that really carried me forward in my time as a SEAL officer. If you're not a humble professional, regardless of what profession you're in, you cease to learn. You know, humility breeds kind of unit continuity and connection. So I think that that's the number one quality that led to success while I was in that career.
1: Right, the ability to just always want to learn and not think you're
2: all that. (laughs) Yeah, because you're never all that. I mean, I can point to a litany of guys, both in the SEAL teams and outside the SEAL teams that did more in the military than I did and were better at all kinds of things that we were expected to do. You stop learning when you lose uh, a sense of humility and we always should be lifelong learners in everything that we're doing, right?
0: One of the things I heard you talk about, which I thought was really Fascinating, and that is vulnerability.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I think vulnerability breeds empathy. When you're vulnerable to expose your own weaknesses, people understand that it's okay for them to expose their own weaknesses. You know, they feel disarmed and it builds a sense of connection. So I didn't really realize it at the time, but I was really practicing vulnerability in tandem with being a humble leader. I was okay admitting when I wasn't capable of doing something or I made a mistake or I was struggling. I always would look to those around me to help lift me up. And I've taken that vulnerability into my life personally now having left the SEAL teams many years ago, in order to grow as a person, to deal with some of the emotional scars that have been left after you know a lifetime, not only in the teams, but just a lifetime, things that we all experience. I've learned to now be vulnerable in that capacity, not just in like my professional life, but in my personal, my emotional, my spiritual life. And it's been a godsend for me, frankly.
1: When you say vulnerability, how does that show up or what does that mean for you?
2: admitting when you're wrong, admitting when you're struggling, not trying to just bear cross and be the tough guy that you're expected to be. It's showed up for me being more open to expressing emotion. I've really leaned on expression of grief in the last few years, being able to cry and actually starting to remember that it actually feels really good when you release emotion, Mm -hmm. when you allow yourself to grieve, to cry. When I'm happy to smile, to laugh, there's a release that happens there. And I think that that emotional vulnerability that I've been able to tap into has been very healing for me.
0: I wish our listeners could see you because you do have a big smile on your face (laughs) and it's just there. And it's so wonderful to watch someone with a smile on their face because Mm -hmm. it's contagious. It makes me want to smile because you're smiling over there So I've also heard you talk about how you have this appreciation now for your family and for your Mm -hmm. wife and how that's made a marked difference. So can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, no, I have a deep appreciation for them. My wife particularly had supported me through all my time as a SEAL.
1: You guys met in high
2: school? We did. We were high school sweethearts. We went to senior prom together and started dating after wrestling season, senior year. (laughs) You survived the Naval Academy and the SEAL teams. (laughs) Well, the roughest ride was probably post transition. You know, I struggled. I lost my way. I probably was overcompensating and trying to find something to fill the void that was left when I departed the SEAL teams. And My wife stood by my side, even though she could see right through it. She Mm -hmm. saw that I was suffering, saw that I needed to really focus on family and not necessarily her, but focus on the loving relationships that I had all around me. And particularly with my wife and my kids, we all get so busy in life that we forget that Mm -hmm. the time that we have with our loved ones is precious time, especially when our kids are young. And I missed a bunch of those years with my daughter because I was so fixated on rationalizing time away from her and time away from my wife in order to take care of them. Yet in reality, I wasn't really taking care of them. I mean, To be emotionally connected with them and recognize the love that we all have for each other is more important than any job, any pursuit, any athletic endeavor. It's the most important thing for me.
1: Nick, you did talk about it so openly. So you left the service to just make the decision to be at home. But you said there was a period that you lost your way. Can you share with everybody what happened and how you dealt with some of the loneliness and the scary thoughts and all of that? It was depression,
2: but I didn't recognize it as depression at the time. You know, and I think a lot of us go through life saying, no, I'm not depressed. I'm good. I'm not at risk and we're only fooling ourselves. I was resistant to the diagnosis of depression, but I definitely feel like I was struggling with that. I struggled with a lot of apathy, like a lack of enjoyment in things that I really, really had previously loved doing. And I just felt flat. I used the word feel, but I wasn't feeling. You know, I was just going through the motions. I wasn't connected with friends. I wasn't connected with my family in the way that I am now. And- that was scary for me because I had always been, you know, a very happy, outgoing individual. And it was several years after I had departed active duty where I started feeling that way. I tried a lot of different things. You know, the thing that's really helped though is connection, you know, connection to community, to people around me, to my family. I mean, that continues to be the galvanizing factor in staying healthy and happy is the connection for sure.
0: What about PRTMS? You talked about that.
2: Yeah. So initially, I avoided antidepressants. I didn't want to go on an SSRI, not to say that they don't serve their purpose. I know that they help people that are struggling. I wanted to solve the problem. I knew I just didn't want to put a band aid on it. So I was introduced to PRTMS, which is transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is a kind of alternative treatment using a magnet to kind of stimulate brain activity. And It was helpful for a period of time, but it wasn't a long-term solution for me. It took deeper introspective work for me to truly start to address and attack some of the issues. And for me, it was deep compartmentalization of a lot of emotions, namely grief and loss that really, I think, were eating away at me and kind of manifesting in kind of those symptoms of apathy and depression.
0: Was it grief and loss of teammates and people that you served with?
2: Yeah, part of it was, you know, I lost friends in the SEAL teams. At the time, I didn't grieve because, as special operations folks, we compartmentalize really well in order to take the emotion out of our decision making and allow us to perform in high stress scenarios. Maybe I grieved in the moment, but I was very quick to shut it off. Also, I had lost my dad when I first started off my career in the SEAL teams. You know, he passed away tragically at like 63 years old. Mm -hmm. And then in 2012, I lost a younger brother in an inbounds avalanche. I had the personal loss from like family members. I also had confronting death for a long period of time, you know, going into combat. And (sighs) it had a compounding effect on me and I wasn't dealing with it the right way even with the loss of my brother at the end of my career i didn't even confront that the right way i went in as the problem solver to take care of his wife and his two kids and to try to be there for them and not really focus on you know the loss that i had
1: but then also the loss of you right yeah you lost being the son yeah you lost being the brother yeah. And it's like really not taking the time to really feel that and think that through. Wow. That's, that is a lot. Yeah.
2: I appreciate you saying that because, you know, to this day, I'm probably really hard on myself. Self-compassion is one of those things that I continue to work on every single day. And when did you lose Chris? In 2012, I lost Chris. I'll be honest. I mean, that one is hit me the hardest out of every single one. I mean, the the loss of a sibling, the only thing that would trump it, and I have not experience this type of loss is the loss of a child. And you know, yeah, I hope I never have to experience that. But yeah, right. my heart was broken. You know, he was a avid outdoorsman, loved skiing. And that's how he died. He he died in an avalanche. So at least he went out mm. doing what he loved. And he my left behind God. two beautiful children, Indica and Sage, oh. are my kids or my <laughs> brother's kids' oh. names. And their mom, Lynn, is a beautiful woman. She's remarried and her husband, Ryan is a total godsend to my oh. brother's kids. I mean, I'm, I'm going to start crying right now. Um, so. <laughs> Talk about vulnerability. I never told Ryan how much I appreciate what he's done for my little brother's kids. And this past oh. year, I had that conversation with him and it was so beautiful. Just to tell him that he's a father to my brother's kids, it's an honor to have him in their lives. Your heart's
1: so open and you use the word love a lot. Is that something new to your vocabulary? No,
2: it's it's new to my vocabulary for sure. You know, I've changed <laughs> a lot in the last probably year and a half, 2 years. You know, I'm on the board of a nonprofit called Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions that's doing a lot of work with psychedelic medicine in order to help heal, you know, deep-rooted trauma within the seal community and then ideally the veteran community and I'm very thankful for the opportunity to have experienced one of those retreats. And it opened me up to look inside myself for the solution, not to something external.
1: So I guess when you're having the depression and losing your way, is the biggest feeling the disconnection? Is that what's happening? Is it
2: a slow process? I think it was a slow process for me. Well, it's not like you're just getting ripped away from your community. It was like a slow atrophy where I slowly removed myself. I mean, hey, I was trying to reinvent myself. When I left the SEAL teams, I was like, okay, I need to prove that I can do this and I can't just rest on my laurels as a former SEAL. I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna do something that's hard and away from the community. I removed myself from a lot of my friends from the SEAL community and, and that took time. You know, for me, it took like four or five years before I really fell into the deep darkness of that period.
1: Dora and I are actually studying a lot about the importance of community in health. And it just percolates to actually being the number one thing for health. And it's like, what happens to us when we get out of community?
2: There's so much distraction in this world, especially now. I'm scared for my kids because there's so much distraction between electronic devices, social media platforms, access to everything on TV, via streaming, anytime you want it. Like, You can remove yourself from human to human contact very easily. That stuff is designed to pull you away from people. You know, all I want is to just be around my family, my relationships. Hopefully, by doing that, you know, your children follow your example. And the best thing we could do as parents in this day and age is stay connected with your kids, communicate, foster opportunities for them to have that human to human interaction.
0: With COVID, we've been completely connected to our devices and isolating ourselves. So what about transitioning out of COVID and into the world? How's that looking from your perspective? And what advice would you give to people who are struggling with that?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of fear there right now. The COVID pandemic has been a real thing and it's been tragic and You know, people rightfully so were fearful of getting sick and getting loved ones sick. But there comes a point where the importance of human connection amongst loved ones, the lack thereof can almost be more detrimental to your health than fear of a pathogen. And I'm not telling people to be unsafe, but I think that we've made a lot of progress in keeping the fear or the actual impact of COVID at bay to the point where people have been programmed over the last year to be fearful, be cautious, don't take risks, but that's not a way to live life. I mean, you could go through your entire life just like frozen, paralyzed by the fear of dying. You know, I had a near-death experience and I've had a pretty profound psychedelic experience that almost mirrored my near-death experience in that I felt very similar and I felt like I went to the same place. Both of those, though, what came out of it for me is that, like, there's nothing to fear in death. Death is going to happen to all of us. We're all slowly marching towards death, regardless of where we are in our lives, how old we are, how young we are. It's an absolute certainty, it's going to happen. But from what I came out of those experiences with is this understanding that it's a transition. You know, it's a transition to, to another stage in our existence. And I think it had quelled. A lot of that fear of death. And it's made me happier and it's made me more connected and it's made me appreciate everything around me. If we didn't die at some point, I don't think we would live life with the intensity that we live. We just take it for granted and let it like wash by. So I just hate to see people so paralyzed with the fear of death that they fail to live. You know, they fail to see parents that are aging. You know, brothers and sisters and friends that they haven't been able to see. They haven't been able to hug. They haven't been able to show their face and smile, you know, in front of them. There's so much power in being able to embrace people and laugh and smile and be with other people. We need, we yearn for human connection. And I've seen that fall by the wayside. And I think we're slowly but surely coming back to, you know, being okay. My biggest fear is that we lose that ability to connect with other human beings. I mean, I wasn't scared of the pandemic. I was scared of the lack of connection that I was seeing amongst people.
0: So tell us about your near-death experience. What was that like?
2: For a long time, I probably wished it never happened. But, you know, the more I look at it, I'm glad that it happened to me. I was with my brother-in-law, cliff jumping. And, you know, we made a decision to cliff jump in a spot. We probably shouldn't have been cliff jumping. It's easy to make that observation after the fact, but you know, it was a beautiful day and we decided to do that. And wrong place at the wrong time. I was caught in the water and a big swell came in. And I fought to survive until I went unconscious. And it was a situation where my brother-in-law was the only one there. He couldn't get in the water while it was happening. We both would have died. And definitely had a very clear moment where I understood that I couldn't fight forever and that there was a very real possibility that I was going to drown and start to come to grips with what that's going to feel like. What am I going to experience? Where am I going? And I remember that fear and kind of anxiety hitting me, but then the anxiety was transcended by a feeling of serenity, calm, And I remember seeing both of my children, you know, feeling very close to both my children and I wanted to be with them. And in a way I was with them in that moment. And it felt like I was just kind of held in that moment forever. It was actually, that's the only thing I recall from the whole thing is just being kind of suspended in this moment with my two kids. And, you know, the next thing I remember, it probably was 20 to 30 minutes later was slowly coming back into normal consciousness. And, (laughs) you know, there was a long period of time where I was gone. For all intents and purposes, I went someplace that I had never been before. And it was comforting in the fact that it was so simple. And the simplicity of that moment exists in my life right now. You know, I have my two children. It's been what has driven the connection in my life, the reconnection and the rekindled love and a desire to be around them as much as humanly possible. Because I know that in the moment that death was going to take me, I didn't want anything else but to be with them. Wow, how did that
0: compare to the psychedelic experience?
2: <laughs> the experience actually almost mirrored that in taking the psychedelic medicine that I took that first time, which was 5-MeO-DMT, which is a tryptamine. I'll tell you like I never did an illicit drug in my entire life, never smoked cigarettes, didn't chew tobacco or dip, which is amazing because I was a SEAL. You know, I was introduced to that opportunity. And It was the first time I had ever smoked anything, right, in my entire life, and I was at a place where I needed healing. I, you know, I was kind of without an option. In that experience, you know, it's very much a blessing for me. It sounds so simple, and it sounds so like, well, there's no fireworks or anything of the story. Well, for me, there was massive fireworks in the experience. I was kneeling next to my son. I was just with my son. No words spoken, nothing. I was just kneeling next to my son in our living room, and I saw the sunlight coming through our windows and hitting his blonde hair. And he was playing with his toys on our couch. And I was with him. It wasn't like I was imagining this. I wasn't thinking about it. I was physically like with my son, the way that I would feel as if I was kneeling with him right now today. I think it was like a Louisville slugger kind of hit me over the head again. Be like, Hey, you saw this before you saw this when you drowned, you were with your two kids. And I was, put back in that situation is like an attempt to drive the point home. The love that you have for your child and the love that our parents have for us as children is ineffable. Like I can't explain why we feel the way we do. And I don't think there's a way to properly explain the intensity of that love, but in my mind and in my heart, it's the only way that I can understand the love of a benevolent creator And when I talk about kind of feeling God, I feel God because now I can relate God's love to something that I truly understand. That's a tangible feeling in my life. I felt like I went back. When I was in the experience, I'll be frank with everybody, for a moment I was like, oh, this was a terrible idea. I felt like I was dying again. Mm -hmm. I felt like this surge away from life and I was being ripped from everything that I love only to be placed in that moment and to be given such a profound lesson in love.
1: It's so awesome that we can talk about death in this way because we fear it. So to be able to openly discuss what death could be like, and as you said, learn from that and to take the steps today to love is what you're saying, and to feel connected and to be here because we're not always going
2: to be here. Hey, I got a chance to die before I died. You know, a lot of people wait their entire lives to meet death and- I can imagine if you've went your entire life and you've missed a lot of this connection, you've missed a lot of the points and you're ready to breathe your last breath. I know what goes through people's head and it's, you know, they just want to be connected. They want to be loved.
1: How would you define then forgiveness?
2: Yeah, I'm so willing to forgive almost to a point that it's very hard when my forgiveness is not welcome by somebody, right? (laughs) I've gotten caught up in that where it can be very destructive in my life. And I imagine it can be destructive in a lot of people's lives. Not everybody is going to forgive you or just welcome you, but you have to do it not for them recognizing it. You have to do it for yourself. And I'm still working on that. Mm -hmm. By no means am I perfect. I mean, I still struggle with that, but the apex is forgiving because you truly want to forgive. And even if it's not accepted in your own heart, you know that you have moved on and you've forgiven that person for whatever happened. Yeah.
1: Wow. You're really an amazing person. Yes, you are, Nick. We want to hear about your businesses and what you're doing and all of that.
2: So on the nonprofit side C4 foundation is a wonderful organization that I work with Charlie's family on that one. It's amazing to help active duty families build kind of interconnectedness at a ranch in Southern California. And then veterans exploring treatment solutions. So Vetsolutions.org is run by Marcus and Amber Capone. It's focused on advocacy research and providing grants to former SOF to be able to seek psychedelic therapy in countries where it's legal and to receive the right integration and prep training to really optimize those experiences. So that's what I'm doing on the nonprofit side. And then, you know, on the for profit side, I got Protect is our company. So P R O T E K T. So Protect is a wellness company. So we have a bunch of supplements and some sun care. It's all focused on simple products to elevate wellness.
1: Oh, awesome. So we will definitely be all over that, right, Dora? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm already Googling it on the side. This has just been great, Nick. We really want to have you oh, back. Oh, <laughs> it would be an
2: honor. I love you guys, and I appreciate the opportunity.
1: Well, thank you, Thank Nick. you, Nick. It's <laughs>
0: such a pleasure and a joy to be with you.